Thank you. We take our scripture reading from Matthew chapter 2 this week for a few weeks, two weeks now. This will be our third. We've been in Matthew 2 where we've learned Mary is anxious. We learned last week from Pastor Dustin, Joseph is anxious, his life upside down. Matthew 2, beginning with verse 1, someone else is also anxious. Read with me. There's a Bible in your pew this morning if you'd like to read that way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked this question, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. King Herod has more power than anyone in Jerusalem. King Herod, Roman's ruler, King Herod really the villain in the story, Why? what does he have to be disturbed about? This is a Herod who calls the shots. The Bible says King Herod is disturbed. Your Bible translation may say he's troubled. It's a word for internal turmoil. Internal anxiety, anxiety ridden or trodden, the word means. The Bible says not only Herod is troubled, but all of Jerusalem is troubled. Well, what's Herod's problem? Is he troubled because Magi guests have come from the east, and the east, those are their enemies, and now the enemies are right here in Jerusalem, is that why? Is he troubled because these guests who have come are very intelligent men who work for the Persian government, who work for the Persian gods, by the way? Is he troubled because maybe they missed this star? If there is a star, somehow maybe Herod should have seen it. The, the high priests in Jerusalem should have found it. Is Herod troubled because he doesn't know what's going on in his own neighborhood? It's right underneath his nose, and he's missed it. The Bible said Herod is troubled. He's disturbed. This is Herod, remember. With, a, with one command, Herod murders millions in minutes, hundreds in minutes. With one command, Herod could torture a person for days and weeks if he wanted. As Herod requests, so it's done. The most powerful man in all of Jerusalem, the Bible says, is disturbed at this news. Now, I can understand Mary and Joseph, poor, young, unknown commoners. I understand why they're disturbed. What is Herod's problem, really? Can you imagine what it is to be in the most powerful position in a story? I, I don't know what that's like. Maybe some of you do. To be sitting in the position of the most power in a story. I will tell you, last Christmas, one year ago, December 25, 2007, is a Christmas I will never forget. My family will never forget. We, from Portland, or from uh, Ontario, made a flight to Portland. This will only make sense to you if you love the Northwest, if you care about the game of basketball, if you have a franchise you can be attached to, even when they lose for 30 years in a row. <laughs> this will only make sense to you. We were gifted tickets to see a Portland Trailblazer game on Christmas Day. Who, else, who gets on an airplane and flies for 24 hours to see a game in the Rose Gardens? We did. We did. Someone gifted us tickets. We dressed in red and black team colors. If you thought I was dressed for Christmas today, these are just blazer colors. 
We put on our red and black, got the pom-poms, the little necklaces, got on the airplanes, went to the Rose Garden, the new Coliseum there, sold out crowd, Christmas Day, what a treat. And of all things, I'm sitting courtside. First time in my life, last time probably, I'm sitting, I can touch the court with my toes. From where I'm sitting, you can hear everything the players are saying, everything the referees are saying. From where I'm sitting, when they sprint by, you feel the wind as it goes. Their sweat becomes your sweat. <laughs> courtside. I'm like Jack Nicholson at a Laker game. Courtside. I'm immediately engulfed in the powerful. Just in front of me are guys, they, they just throw a ball around for five, 10, 20 million dollars a year. And all around me are sitting the elite of Portland who pay thousands of dollars to sit here. I'm immediately engulfed in the world of the powerful. Who are all of these people? And some of them are pointed out to me. Did you know when you sit there, if you want something, they bring it to you? I didn't know that. If you get thirsty, they bring you a drink. If you're hungry, they, here comes a pretzel. In the fourth quarter, you sign your tab and it, whatever you need. If you don't like who's sitting be, beside you, they'll tell them to quiet down. If you're just lonely, they'll talk to you, the attendants. That's what happens when you sit courtside. That, that's the world of the powerful. Oh, I kind of liked it. And then I began to watch these people. These people yell and swear, I heard it. These people are no more beautiful than most of you sitting here today. These people probably go home and fight with a spouse and ignore a child. These people can get fired from their job just like I can. These people get depressed and discouraged just like all of you. These folks get disease and diagnosis and they die. The powerful, it's an illusion, really. When you think about it, the idea of having power is an illusion in the human experience. They're sitting on folding chairs, for goodness sakes. Thousands of dollars. Power only works when we all agree to the terms, the hierarchy, the conditions of power. In the human situation, power is usually only interrupted when someone more powerful intrudes. This is Herod's problem. It's not the Magi who are the problem. The Magi say there's one more authoritative. Keep reading in the text with me, will you? Because this is Herod's problem. Someone who is more authoritative, someone who disturbs Herod, the text says in verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ child to be born? Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea. This is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. They get a little instruction from their scripture. Someone's coming, but it's a few miles south. I'm not sure what's so threatening about a dusty shepherd in a village. Nobody really knows. 
But the text says all of Jerusalem is troubled. It's not enough just for a few of Herod's counselors. He's called them all together. Verse 7, after he's learned what he's learned, now he calls the Magi back together. Herod continues to be disturbed. This is what he says to the Magi. Then Herod called the Magi, the visitors from the east. He secretly um, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may go and worship him too. Herod wants to know the precise time. Is this so he can find out how old is the child? How old is the threat? How serious is this? So that I can go and worship. Everyone knows Herod is Herod. Herod's family has been ruling for 150 years. The Herods bow to no one. He doesn't want to worship a king. He needs information right now. Herod is competing with his father and his uncles and his brothers. No one out Herod's Herod. He's disturbed because there's a threat of another power. The way I see it, he's, he's got a, at least two issues. One is the rumor of a threat that could be more powerful, and the other, a group of people who may just be ready for a new ruler, common people like Mary and Joseph villagers and landowners, people Herod has exploited and, and suppressed and silenced for generations now. Her Herod's got at least two problems, a threat of power and people who were probably ready for a new power. In this story in Matthew chapter 2, I hope you won't miss this morning, everyone has problems. All of Jerusalem is disturbed. No one is at ease. The powerful nor the weak. Problems everywhere. It reminded me reading this this week of a card I got when I was a young adult. Had a particular troubling time in my life. Someone gave me a card. This is a very old card now. A little ant, a little brown ant standing up on the card wearing a pair of trousers with suspenders and kind of itching and moving all around. And on the inside it said, you think you've got problems. I've got people in my pants. <laughs> Everybody's got problems in Matthew chapter 2. Nobody is safe. So Herod sends the wise men. What I consider to be the most precious part of the story, the next three verses, Matthew 2, verse 9. After the Magi had heard the king, they went on their way. The star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And for one very brief scene in Matthew chapter 2, Herod is absent. The terror is silence. For one very brief moment, the threat of human power, the obsession with human power is silenced as visitors from the east, from a foreign nation, by the way, bow and give honor and respect, acknowledge 
a Lord they don't even know. Visitors from the east with their own gods, their own pagan gods, Israel would say. In those three verses, friends, that's the gospel. For God so loved that Jesus came that whosoever comes into God's presence, God saves. In those three verses, the gospel of Jesus It's a tale of conflicting lordships in Matthew chapter 2, competing agendas, competing powers. Who will be in charge? Herod, or now someone called the king of Jews, the king of the Jews. This is the one who comes into the world to remind humans, listen, it doesn't have to be the way the world has organized things, the hierarchy the world has put in place. That kind of power only works if you all bow to it, if you're all afraid enough of it. The king of the Jews comes and says, wait, time out. There is another option for you. There's another Lord. There's a different kind of Lord. That's what's happening in Matthew chapter 2. The manger takes takes the field and levels it, just like the cross. You always hear people say the foot of the cross is level. Well, so is the floor at the manger. Everyone has a problem. But everyone has a solution. Competing lordships. I don't know what your lord is as you've walked into the sanctuary today. Some of you haven't been in a church in a long time. I don't know what your lords are. I'm not sure I know all of my lords today. I'm very sure at this time of year it's always good to ask again about wealth and things and stuff. To ask ourselves again how attached we are to our earthly belongings, if, if somehow still our things lord over us in some way. Possessions and wealth in this world. There was a news, new, one of the news stories this week, only about a two or three minute spot, actually trying to persuade people that now is the time to shop. We know you don't have any money, but there are great bargains out there, so get out there and shop. People, clothes, the best price on clothes, they say, in years. This is actually how they marketed it. You may be losing your job, so you'll probably need to outfit yourself for your next job interview. That's the logic. So go buy and spend. Not for other people. Buy for yourself because the prices are unbelievable. Computer prices dropping, flat screen TVs dropping. You should go spend, the news story said. We should... Be careful to ask ourselves again about possessions and wealth. Talk to the retirees invested in this latest scheme in Manhattan, 50-some billion dollars from the asset manager Madoff. Talk in particular to the little retirement community in South Palm Beach, Florida, where many of these folks live. Wealth accumulated over a lifetime. They interviewed one couple on the news the other night who said, it was in our hand one day and it was gone 48 hours later. Because the lords of this earth don't last. I don't know what your lord is, who your lords are. Maybe you're a lord to yourself. Maybe you can't please yourself. 
Maybe you're a, a lord or you're a slave to information, wanting to know to be secure and grabbing and grasping at everything, anything in the world that can make you calm. Maybe your work is your lord. Maybe it is that that not only gives you satisfaction, that, but that provides you the security and power you need in the world. Even good work that you do on behalf of other people, even noble, altruistic work, perhaps. Yet it is true, our work does not save us. Our work does not make us savable. Maybe your Lord is in your friendship circles, in your relationships. Maybe your Lord is in your hobby and your habits, habits that sometimes become obsessions and addictions. People with addictions suffer just like the rest of us, trying to find that which calms our anxious soul and makes us well. I don't know what your Lord is, but I do hear from Bethlehem, from the quiet moment with the Magi around that infant, a promise. A new kind of Lord has come to town. Your soul will be safe here. From wherever you've come into the sanctuary this morning, don't miss that these strangers came from the east as far as the east was from the west. As far as these men were from God, they could walk into the presence of the one Matthew said will save you from your sins, Emmanuel, God with us. Those strangers could walk into God's presence and be safe that night. And that is the gospel. The lords of this world don't make us safe and secure. They tend to cause us to run for more. I don't know who your Lord is today. It's a question you can ask yourself, a question you can ask God. Who am I serving? How do I serve you? Because I do hear from Matthew 2, there really can only be one Lord. There really can only be one. It was a scene a couple of summers ago, maybe last summer, Vivid in my mind, we were again in the Portland area doing some packing out in Mom's parking lot area. My father used to live in a memory care center for a little while, and those of you who have family members with Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's-related diagnoses, you understand these kinds of living environments for loved ones. We were packing up Mom's car, some things in her trunk, and the girls and I were walking through the parking lot. Adjacent to the parking lot is is the grounds of the memory care center surrounded by a tall gate, tall fence, barbed wire, or a, I'm sorry, a wire fence for safety and security reasons. Out in the yard in the memory care center home was a fragile, aged woman. Her knuckles were all pruned and bent up. Tiny little thing, standing at the gate with those fingers just grasped through, hanging on for dear life, and with all the energy she could muster out of her vocal cords, she was crying out, Save me, help me, help me, someone. Please help me, call the police. Someone come and save me, help me. I'm not safe, we heard her say. I'm not safe. Tears running down her face. Difficult scene to pass by, by the way, because she happens to be in a, the most safe place she could be. It is the cry of every anxious soul. 
help me, I'm not safe. And it is the answer from Bethlehem. You are safe with me. God is busy intervening, saving this very moment, each one of us. Is that incredibly good news? Will you allow God to be your Lord? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Savior of humankind. Amen.